over there where the stop and go sits was the mom and pop with the slow cooked bricks and the sweet iced tea. Refills free and cups of joe and company. There used to be a sign up saying, Glad you came. And every little town around was as different as its name. Now everywhere you go, it all just looks the same. Walmart. Walgreens, Wendy's, Applebee's, Starbucks, Stuckey's, Best Buy, Mickey D's, and that used to be the drive. Welcome to Sundays on the East End. This is Bridget Leroy. And this is Alex Sokolow. Suddenly you said Mrs. Alex Sokolow. Mrs. Yes, Mrs. Bridget, there's something we have to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) Not again. Okay. I'm like, I'm like barely self-identifying as a human being at this point. Well, dogs, I'd rather, sometimes I think I'd rather be a dog because now I have a new puppy. Yeah, let's talk about this, Bridge. Hey, all right. Welcome, everybody. Hope everybody's having a good uh, late March, kind of the beginning of spring. It's been really cold, like winter is really holding it on, which is kind of unpleasant. But you have brought a new love creature into your life. What's going on? A love creature. Can I call my children that, too? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, they say the difference between kids and dogs is uh, less to educate, more to feed. Which one? Um, I think think dogs. (laughs) Enough about Stella Blue. Let's talk about Amanda Green. Yeah, so we have Amanda Green on uh, our show, uh, which I'm, I'm, I'm always excited to talk to everybody. I'm really excited to catch up with Amanda. Amanda has made a, a you know, a forged a career kind of where she's, she creates pixie dust, and and that uh, in her inventions, uh, there's a certain bit of magic that that uh, she she brings, and that that must require uh, a, a bit of a playfulness, but a huge leap of faith at all times, because it's not, uh, you know, uh, two plus two equals four. It has to be two plus two equals five. Yeah. And also, but saying pixie dust is funny because, of course, Peter Pan. So Peter Pan. And yeah, they, it's like Mr. Pixie Dust. <laughs> but Amanda and I have a really long history together. And she you guys were college roommates. No, more than that. Who put the sock on the door more? Who like? <laughs> Seriously, but, but more than that. And Amanda's like going to roll her eyes. She's so sick of the story. Our mothers were pregnant and got stuck in the revolving door at Double Days together when they were pregnant with us. Talk about a cute meet. Yeah. And then we just kind of grew up together. I mean, she was one of my first sleepovers. And then when, when we when we got to Brown and she walked in the room, we were like, really? Like, no, like no one else wanted a room with either one of us. Like they stuck us together after high school. But we had a great time and we've stayed friends. And she's really one of my favorite people. Even when we fall out of touch, we we are never really out of touch. So uh, anyway, maybe we should just take a, a short break. Absolutely. Back. What do you say? So you, yeah, you know what? You're listening to Sundays on the East End, uh, 88.3 FM, WLIW. I'm Alex Sokolo. And I'm Bridget Leroy. You're, you can listen to us on 88.3 WLIW, like Alex just said, or you can stream us online at WLIWFM.org, Long Island's only NPR station. <laughs> and we're going to be <laughs> right back. Thanks. Don't I want to be a hero? Don't I want to be a dandy? Don't I want to get me vengeance? Clearing Peter from my brain. Don't I want to be an idol? 
children shrieking when they see me. Sweet attention from the ladies. All for causing Peter pain. Listen to your peerless leader. Once I get me hooked in Peter, life will go from sweet to sweeter, I say. Serving eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, this is 88.3 WLIW-FM and WLIW.org slash radio in Southampton, New York, Long Island's only NPR station. Your source for news, music, and entertainment, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Why can't I be like the boss? Cause being like me is no fun Why was I doomed to be left? Why wasn't I born to run? Why can't I let loose of this heavy load of rage and of pain? Why can't I be from Thunder Road and not from Pudding Hill Lane? With my girl on stage there smiling across Welcome back. Sunday's on the East End. Brittany Leroy. And Amanda Green. And Amanda Green. Yeah, <laughs> finally classing up the joint. And just jumped in. Yeah. So where, where are you right now? I am Amanda. I am in the Springs. Oh, you are? Okay. So you're out there. I am. How, yeah. how, have you spent the pandemic out East? I have, I'm out here like four or five days a week. Um, I, uh, I've been volunteering at the East Hampton Food Pantry on Tuesdays, which has been the favorite part of my uh, pandemic-ness so far. So, uh, so I do that, and then I go back into the city Wednesday to Friday. Okay, and, and let's, all right, well, let's, let's, let's be uh, deliberate here. Let's talk about the food pantry. It's a, uh, an ocean of need because of the pandemic and the shutdown. Yeah. How, do you know how many meals you guys are doing every week, or what, what do you do for I them? Know. I mean, us I, I, guys, I'm, I'm really just helping. They do an incredible amount. I think on Tuesdays, uh, which is the day I work, about like 100, uh, 125 families uh, come through. Mm -hmm. and, then, uh, and then they do home delivery, um, also on Tuesdays and Wednesdays to another 300 or so. I know. I mean, uh, so a lot of people and it's great. And, and just to give that a plug, because if anybody yeah, wants to participate and contribute, where, where is that? Yes. East Hampton Food Pantry. It's, uh, you know, right where you get your uh, stickers and your, uh, you know, in the, okay. you know, right on 27. Is that the town hall? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you drive all the way to the back, hang a left. And uh, there it is, and you and you can drive up. It's COVID safe. You drive up. The food is put into the car. And 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 That's how have so you been cool. able to maintain your creativity uh, during this period? I, I know Bridget. Bridget was saying just when the pandemic hit, you just had a, a show begin on Broadway that. Yeah, Bob and, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice had just opened, right? Oh, yeah, off-Broadway. And then, yes, it was closed. I mean, it was just, you know, like everybody else. Actually, a very heavy audience participation uh, kind of experience. And um, one of my, my co-writers, actually, Jonathan Mark Sherman, was like, we cannot ask the actors to do what we wouldn't do ourselves and we got to close this show. But, and then everyone- They're actors, but they're actors. Channel. You can ask so them to do anything. Closed. And um, yes, I had two shows. One was supposed to be on Broadway this fall. And- um, Which one is that? Uh, well, it wasn't announced officially, but it was, I've been working on Mr. Saturday Night with um, uh, Billy Crystal. 
and uh, oh wow, Jason Robert Brown, the composer, and oh Abelou Mandel and Lowell Gantz, you know, yeah. Wow, like the 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 Ron Howard team. Yes, from the, yes. We're hoping to you know be back in rehearsal when it's safe to be back in rehearsal, and and I had another show which was supposed to be happening this summer a production, and that's not going to happen. So everything was kind of put on hold. But uh, I was uh, this other musical, Female Troubles, which I'm writing. My collaborator and I. Uh, wrote new songs during the pandemic. And it kind of, it really was my lifeline to sanity. And as the worst of the worst was happening, and, you know, it goes without saying that the, all the three of us are all very lucky, but um, the best thing I did was write, you know, we wrote like a six minute comedy number and that like saved my sanity. Nice. <laughs> Doing, you know what I mean? Looking at tiny little moments and trying to figure it out and write new songs. Uh, you know, I, I I can't say I've written anything that speaks to the what we it was exactly what we were not living through, but it was. It, yeah, but this is but I, I would make the polite argument that that there is some art that uh, exists to uh, kind of d make you feel the zeitgeist or whatever. But then there's other art, which is escapism, which I certainly have done a lot of in my writing. That yeah. is this beautiful break from reality. It's 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 a chance to kind of. Uh, you know, play with our better angels, so to speak. And, and so I would think that that we need that more than ever right now. Yes, yes. And certainly uh, it, it uh, got me through and, you know, being the, uh, concentrating on the little things and, uh, you know, little moments because everything else was so unmanageable. So, right. yeah. I, I have so many questions about process and I don't know if we're going to do it now or later, but jump like, on, do whatever I, you want, all right, I'm going to jump in. You're talking about the, the work that you're, you know, uh, gestating the work that you, you are developing. And I'm, I, you know, I'm forever interested in, you know, musicals have structure and sometimes very defined and strangulating structure uh, <laughs> in the course of an evening. Uh, but when you're in the stage, <laughs> When you're in the stage, uh, you're not seeing a show you enjoy if you define it as a strangulator. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just saying, you know what? It's like uh, when the facts are on your side, argue the facts, and when they're not, you argue the law. And sometimes there's a lot of structure in musicals, <laughs> you know. So, um, but like when you're in the in the in the period that you're talking about, where you're working on something that you're going to ultimately put up on the stage. Um, how do you work with the storytelling, with the book, with everything, when, when you're dealing with this content of songs and the purpose of the song at any one moment? Very good question. Yeah, is, that is the, that's the trick of the whole thing. I mean, everybody's always, you know, thinks that songwriting is all about, you know, ooh, fun rhymes and things. But the most important thing is figuring out what the song should be who's singing it, what it's doing. Um, and you can, you know, we've rewritten song moments four that's or five times in every show I work on because you go, oh, you know what? That's not what the moment is about. And it's not her song, it's his song. And it's a great song, but it's too, like we wrote a song for this show that we absolutely love. And it was like a, a transgender anthem for the ages, you know, and I was like, this is amazing and then we were like yeah but they're secondary characters and this is not a show about transgender people there is a character who's trans but that's not all of a sudden it became a show about them you know in an hour and a half so into the show what do you do with that so do you just take that pluck that out and save it for another time do you put it in your in your cabaret act what what do you do with it oh my cabaret act is chock-a-block <laughs> Uh, uh, we took it out we took it out and we wrote a song which still deals with it but it's not it's it's uh it's not a 
not a trans anthem. But but it, I, I would say also that it speaks to like when when there are certain uh, like Monty Python, very postmodern and, and spam a lot. We you know we had recently talked to Mark Harris, another Trinity alum, and uh, and Mike Nichols, and and whether it was Mike or whether it was uh, uh, Python. You could feel in that second act when they gave a song to a character, which is why haven't I been on stage for so long or whatever, right. that they were just kind of poking holes wherever they could in the structure. Uh -huh. When you're actually being sincere, uh, you know, when you're actually saying I'm, I am living in the here and now, that's got to be really hard because if, if the song doesn't work in the, in the narrative, no matter how good it is, you know it just stops everything. It's got to go. It, it stops everything or else it, it tilts the... Uh you know, it tilts the, what the storytelling is about. And uh, for various reasons, uh, you have to kill a lot of your darlings, as they say. Yeah, yeah my mom used to say, you know, my mom's also a writer and she was like, Fantastic don't, don't, yeah, don't get attached to your words. They're not your babies. Feel free to kill them at any time. But I also want to kill my babies sometimes. So, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, this, this escalated. <laughs> I know that, was, that went in a dangerous direction, but um, you know, Amanda, let, let's go back. I mean, we'll we'll continue to talk about the process, of course. But you know, you come from like songwriting royalty. I mean, with Adolph Green being being your dad, yeah. and and of course Phyllis, who I adored, um, being your mom and having her own you know Broadway show. I always remember the Mad Woman of Central Park West and how brilliant that was. Um, but Adolf is just, I mean, Comden and Green are just synonymous with great mu movie musicals. Yeah. So what was it like? Like the, what was your first musical? Was it, uh, that, that got produced? Was it High Fidelity? Yeah. I did a lot of musicals off, 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 off Broadway before that, you know, um, and in LA, I think I'm the only <laughs> theater writer I know who like, you know, went to LA to do musical theater, but, um, yeah, that was the first <laughs> Broadway show. Um, and what was it like? I mean, did you have any kind of like, I guess, like Alec would say, zeitgeist involved with, you know, taking over and and, and following in the footsteps? Yeah, I had a lot of those moments. I mean, my father had unfortunately passed away by that time, um, <clears throat> but it certainly felt great, you know, to... Um, to be doing what they were doing. And, and even though we both grew up with all of that, it's different when you're doing it, you know? Um, and I felt- like, I actually don't know because I ran in the opposite direction. That's from true, but you're a writer and you're an actor and you're you're all those yeah. things. And, and a personality. <laughs> a personality. Oh, wow. Oh, was... <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's quite, it was quite different from do, doing it from, uh, but, but like, but in 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 your household, you know, um, the dinner table conversation, so to speak, w w were you were you kind of, is it kind of a see it be it moment for you, or or were you actually kind of were they opening up the hood on their process in a way that you kind of like, oh wow, that's the real inner game of what I'm. I don't, you know, I mean, I knew what their feelings were about their elation and their despair, you know, and their frustrations of the career of which is frustrating and despairing and elating for anybody, you know, no matter where you are, uh, you know, a career in the arts. Um, so, but I didn't know a lot about the process, but it was always, and I'm sure Bridget feels the same way. I mean, it was always the most fun place to be, the most magical, you you know, being backstage or being in a rehearsal room or um, being around those lights, you know, those, those brilliant people and creative people, it was, you know, it was intoxicating and, and uh, that's a great word for it. That's yeah. what it was. It was intoxicating. Yeah. When did yeah. you kind of make that organic next step to to your own writing? 
Uh, I was, I started cabaret performing, performing in a cabaret and singing other people's songs. And I had written two songs <laughs> with a friend of mine. And one night I sang one of them. And again, it was absolutely intoxicating. Which one was it? Uh, it was called a song called Worn Out Sweater, which I wrote. <laughs> I love that song. It's I remember you. I love that song. Uh, like an old love letter, your worn out sweater sleeps next to me. Um, and Ooh. it was an unhappy love song. And that was my that was my jam. <laughs> so I was in my early 20s. Um, but the the feeling of, of performing something I had written and it expressed something I felt so deeply, I thought, well, that's incredible. So I want to do more of that. And I took a lot of pop songwriting workshops because it didn't occur to me to do musical theater. And I went to Nashville. Um, I'd never moved there, but I, um, cause I had a day job, but I would go there on my vacations and, and, and write with people and go on writing blitzes and, um, and then I eventually took a BMI musical theater writing workshop kind of on a lark. And I wrote my first theater song and I was like, yes. All right. So, all right, so but that's, I think it's a really important point because like for, for many yeah. people that might be listening, uh, you know, either them directly or people they know, it's BMI is one of the two, you know, huge companies. Uh, I, can, I always say ASCAP in my mind. It's not ASCAP. What's yes. the other one? It, it is ASCAP, ASCAP, yeah. BMI, ASCAP and BMI yeah. that, that really handle all of the sync and all of the, the rights and, and, and the music industry. Um, right. And they offer these programs. So, so you you took a program, and all of a sudden, like a a, a fire gets lit. Yes, it, it's the BMI Musical Theater Writing Program. It's free. Uh, you have to audition to get in. But I met um, coll my collaborators today. Tom Kitt, uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Tom Kitt. He and I wrote High Fidelity together. We met there. My friend Curtis Moore, who I've written, this is our third musical we're writing, Female Troubles, together. Uh, the guys, Bobby Lopez and Jeff Marks, who wrote Avenue Q. Um, I, I was um, in early workshops of that. Uh, so, I mean, I, I met my community. I made, I made my own community from that. How did you, what was the cathartic moment that made you want to go from writing pop songs, like going to Nashville, maybe doing country, maybe doing pop, and suddenly realizing that you wanted to do something that had, had maybe more of a narrative to it? Uh, because I, 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 it's very, it's very funny, but I had, first of all, I, I met the man who I eventually married and fell in love with. So I had no more unhappy love songs to write. Say, that sounds like a lyric. <laughs> and um, I a, became. That's a good title. No more unhappy love songs to write. No more unhappy love songs. And right. I, um, I loved the idea of writing for characters. And I, I never quite fit in Nashville because it's not really who I am. There are fantastic songwriters who I admire so much. Trucks and, and angel, an angel on my shoulder and on the back porch uh, looking in. You know, I mean, that's not me. It's not me. It, and, um, and I also was too lazy to really immerse myself in it. But so when I came to musical theater, I thought that is me. I am very eccentric. I have, I use big words. I, I, my characters are weird, I, you know, and, and I really felt like I fit in there. Right. And, but then, then uh, now you've opened up a huge corridor. I, I think is, is really all of our uh, quest in life, which is to be authentic. And yes. so you go uh, around the world 15 times 
to end up right back at home because that's your authentic self. Exactly. Exactly. You mean like there's no place like home? Kind oh, of. Oh wow. Well, kind of. Yeah, Bridge. You know what else? That's, kind of like, going you know, that's in the Wizard of Oz, you guys. Right. Oh, and, uh, okay, <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I know that one. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> right, too. but so so you but you did all these things. You did your LA uh, time. You did your Nashville ex exploration, and it was all on some level to to find like you said, the authentic you. Absolutely. And, and, you, and so how, how it, so here's a question I have, you know, yes. when, when I look at your credits, the produced credits, and I know, you know, you are not your produced credits, like credits are just something that you did that crossed a certain. What are you getting at, Alex? <laughs> well, here's what, I'm getting at. Now, here's what I'm getting at. There, there, there are adaptations, right? There are high fidelity, bring it on, and even hands on a hard body. Uh, which I will say, my daughter, my daughter performed in a high school production at at a crossroads in LA, which was awesome. amazing. Um, that was amazing in many ways. But um, you know, when you, when I have been tasked with adapting things, or, or when you're trying to adapt things, you, you you're playing with somebody else's ball in a way, and yet you want to put your authentic self in them. So how have you been able to do that? It just it happens. I don't think you have to. I don't think consciously about it, but even like high fidelity, I just felt like I knew those guys. I knew the 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 woman. Um, I, I got to write things that felt like me. Uh, and then, of course, theater is writing things that don't feel like you, but you sort of see it seeps into the water. I mean, even like there's a line in high fidelity, which I love. Uh, Thank you. I love one of my lines. But um, <laughs> I, there was a line, he's singing a song about Bruce Springsteen's like, why can't I be like the boss? Uh, why can't I be from Thunder Road and not from Pudding Hill Lane? You know, and Pudding Hill Lane is in East Hampton, which I, you know, went up and down as a kid. So I just love that I got to stick that in there. And um, I had to do an intervention on somebody once. And the interventionist boasted that he, we were in good hands because he had been in charge of Kurt Cobain's intervention. And I said to him like, oh, well, how'd that go for you? You know, yeah, like- Exactly, that didn't quite work out. Uh, so we made exactly a character, right. uh, the, the hateful character in High Fidelity keeps boasting about how he was in Kurt Cobain, to handle Kurt Cobain's intervention. And then I, we wrote a song like, I slept with someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. You know, so you get to, you get to put yourself in. Right. Yeah, that's that's so amazing. So you had that you had a great reaction with high fidelity and hands on a hard body. Bring it on, though, seemed to be like extra special glittery that that got like lots and lots of love. Yeah, it was a glittery um, team. It was a glittery team. You know, Lin-Manuel Miranda and um, Tom Kitt and Jeff Whitty, who wrote Avenue Q and Andy Blankenbuehler, who choreographed uh, Hamilton and Alex Lacamoire, who orchestrated Hamilton. So it was like the Hamilton in the Heights team. So yes, it was very glittery and truly. But, but there's also something else, which which I, I may be overreaching and saying this is that high fidelity. You know, one of the themes, at least in the movie, uh, that I that I certainly felt was was a certain kind of the the desperation of collecting and collections and and order and trying to find out your own voice and and bring it on. Obviously, there was a certain desperation of. You know, you got to keep your hand on the truck to win the truck, and it was driving it. Whereas, bring it, whereas, bring it on. I think bring it on had in it this aspirational aspect that might have allowed it to be more glittery in the public's perception. But that's true. They all kind of are about competitiveness, aren't they? I mean, they all really are about 
Interesting. Well, I mean, high fidelity is they're a bunch of slackers, so it's there, you know, it's not um well, not exactly the same thing, but bring it on. No, it was also, it was exciting. Um, and it really was a, a, every actor had to be a quadruple threat. Like they couldn't, they had to act, sing, dance, and stunt, you know, and then you had so it was really like uh it was a lot, and it was the hardest thing I've ever worked on in my life. <laughs> ever. I was getting to because I remember you saying yeah. something like that. I think when when you were just start when you were in rehearsal, I think it was maybe we went out for a cup of coffee or something in yeah. Harbor, and you said that. So that's what I was yeah. getting at, that it was really um there, there was gratitude involved in it too, because it was a great experience, but it was a difficult one. It was. And, and, and what made it hard? Harder. Well, we opened in the Alliance Theater and then we uh, in Atlanta and then it opened in L.A. and then toured around the country and then it came to Broadway. And um, in each iteration, we did such big rewrites and um, we threw out the opening number that we had written and we tackled, as I was saying before, like the same moment we wrote three or four different songs for the same moment. And at some point your brain is like, I don't know how to see this differently, you know? And, and um, we, so we just had to, we kept a new show is hard to write, you know, and we got things wrong and, got things right. and without, without throwing it under the bus, I have found, I've done more work on things that weren't telling properly than the things that do tell properly. So was there something inherent in the DNA of it that, that you guys were just struggling to find? Um, it was it was finding the right tone, absolutely, and finding like what why how, how do we get the audience to go on the journey with this girl? And the way it ended up was that like you have to make her human. It's like right. it's not I want to win, I want to be the best. It was like I just want one moment, one moment that is perfect that I can look at because I I'm average in every other way. So please just let me have this one moment where it all goes right. That's so beautiful. Why don't we take one moment now to have, thank you for that so much, Amanda. <laughs> also knows a segue right here. I like it, Bridge. Yes, thank you. <laughs> one moment uh, for us to uh, take a little break. You're listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sacco. And our guest, Amanda Green, Broadway legend. Oh. And, <laughs> oh, oh, Qua no. Quadruple talent. Yes, quadruple threat. We will come back to all of that after this. with someone who handled Kurt Cobain's intervention. He taught me all these tantric moves, and he's really good at friendship. He's vibrant and creative, and makes salads that have flowers. He slathers me in oils, and massages me for hours and hours and hours. He's caring This is John Landis, your host for the Jam Session Radio Hour on 88.3 WLIW-FM, Sunday nights at 8, bringing you the best in local live jazz. All recorded live right here at some great venues on the east end of Long Island. And please stay tuned to 88.3 WLIW-FM, also heard on WLIW.org slash radio, Long Island's only NPR station.
my one perfect moment in time. Welcome back, Sundays on the East End. If anybody wants to uh, get the lowdown on who we're going to have as guests and stuff, Please follow our Facebook page, Sundays on the East End. Anyway, where where were we at? What were we talking about? Well, you know what we were actually talking about in the break, just briefly, is is uh, you know one of Amanda's uh, new babies, uh, new projects, um, and so maybe we'll we'll dive in and chat about that. Uh, let's. What what are you working on? What are you excited about? <laughs> Oh, what keeps you, you up at night? Thank you for asking. Well, you talked about adaptations, and this is an original idea. Uh, that I came up with with uh, my pal from BMI, Curtis Moore, a composer, he's a wonderful composer. He does the music for uh, Mrs. Maisel. He and I came up, we, we were like, let's find, what are we going to write next? And um, and I said, here's the worst idea for a musical I've ever had, Abortion the Musical. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's okay. It's NPR. It's NPR. Go ahead. Right. You're, you're entitled to leave after the first You act. can just see the money pouring in to abortion the musical and Curtis very smartly said well you know sometimes a, a topic is easier to tackle if it's set in another period so we both hit on uh, Jane Austen which is you know, I mean the Regency era and that that kind of genre and then a sort of a, a basic idea and plot popped into our heads um, and the show is called Female Troubles we sort of mixed it's mostly fiction with a little bit of reality. Uh, and we got these uh, these two women who are incredible writers in L.A., uh, Jennifer Crittenden and Gabby Allen, who have written on Veep and Seinfeld and every every show you love, and they have a new show coming up. And they're writing the book. So it, it's sort of about a young Regency-era unwed heroine who finds out she's knocked up and um, <laughs> her maidservant and uh, shows her an ad for a woman named Madame Restelle, who was a real woman, actually, but and, and uh, a real midwife who advertises cures for women with female troubles. So she and her gal pals go on a, a riotous carriage trip to London uh, to uh, to seek her services. Now, uh, you you during this pandemic, yes, which we hope by the time this airs, by the time this re-airs, everything will be opened up. But I, uh, you did do a cabaret act, and you did one of those songs, didn't you? I did. Yes. Yeah. I watched. What's that? I watched. I was. Oh, I thank it. you so much. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I like to do. I mean, I love performing, and um, it's one of my favorite ways of of trying out new songs. All right. So as as the male in this conversation, I have a couple of questions. One is, uh, you know, abortion and and choice uh, is a very personal experience. How, how do you, you know, musicals, you want everybody to, to go along the ride. Mm -hmm. How do you grapple with something that's so personal and yet you want also people to feel it, that it's accessible? Well, it's just that. It's personal. And that's what sort of the musical will say. That it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all about the choice. It's not about yes or no for you, you know. Yeah, and also, I mean, you think about something like the Book of Mormon. I mean, you know, it, it has a demographic. Like, real Mormons are probably not going to go and see that show because it's very offensive and hilarious, and it's the South Park guys, you know. But so I would think that you're not going to get, I mean, maybe you'll have some people picketing outside, but, you know, like Warner always <laughs> said, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Yeah, I mean, you got to. 
Right, but and and musicals, I think, and and heightened, you know, uh, uh, art allows you to safely kind of chew on things, you know. And so you say you're you're doing this that you've decided to make it a period piece. It, it makes it more accessible that way. So it's it's not saying we are commenting on you. We're actually telling a story from a different time, and we're inviting you yeah. to, to enjoy the story. Well, like there's a song called "Can You Believe This." It's still happening in 1810. So, you know, <laughs> I love that. So it is, it comments, it comments on this time. Yeah, yeah, but, but you might draw parallels, <laughs> but, you know, but, but it does speak to, I mean, it does speak to kind of the culture police, so to speak, and, and the cultural mores. And, and I, I know I've done enough uh, writing or attempts at writing in the Chinese uh, movie industry at uh, different times. And one of the things that happened for years, it's changed in the last five or 10 years, is they would only tell stories that were 2,000 years old because they were so afraid of the government censors. And so, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. you know, it feels like this is a way of kind of, uh, you know, giving sugar with the medicine, so to speak. Yeah, it's an easier way of talking about it than, I mean, it's a, it's a theatrical way of talking about it. You know what, can I just say, I, did, you know. I was curious, did this come out of kind of the Trump era, Me Too, um, you know the the million woman march and everything because I know that you were you were an avid uh, advocate for change during the what we now refer to as the Trump era. Yes, yeah. Is that, is that what you refer to? I, it to? I refer I refer to it as a shit show. Yeah. All right, we've gone off the rails. You know this happens as soon as you mention that guy, that guy Trump. <laughs> you all decorum flies out the window and no, just. I know. He really. He really. Yeah. But anyway, no, I, it's, I, it's been a long, uh, I, it preceded, it's preceded he who shall not be named. We're all supposed to spit. Anyway, so what was the very first song that you wrote by yourself from start to finish? Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's a song called Miracle which uh, maybe I can dig up and <laughs> can send to you. Um, at, at, like how old were you and what made, what inspired you to write it? I, gosh, you know what? I must've written songs earlier, but that was the first song where I, I wrote lots of songs for my parents and for occasions and things like that. I did, I did do that. But the first time I wrote a song and I thought, thought this is a song that could exist in the world that doesn't have, I love you mom and dad in it somewhere. <laughs> Or happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was in a songwriting workshop, you know, um, and uh, it's still, yeah, I'm not looking for a miracle, just a pleasant surprise, finding a 20 in my jeans and desire in your eyes. Do you remember that one? I, I remember that, you know, I think you sang that actually at a Bay Street cabaret when they did the cabarets after the shows really early yeah, on. I remember yeah. That's um, amazing. Yeah. With me, I was going to ask you about the twenty, the finding the twenty in my jeans, and that's what it was. That's what it was, yeah. And then you had another one, I which I loved, which was uh, every time a friend of mine succeeds, a little a piece little of me dies inside. Yes, I still trot that one out. <laughs> you do. I'm sure it's a, an audience like audiences love that one. Evergreen, evergreen. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it's an evergreen. Uh, yeah. So I, it was a process of learning how to learning the craft, even though, you know, it's sort of everyone thinks it's in the water. I studied for many years and I still do, you know, I mean, because you gotta, you have to learn how to do it. You know, I feel like I had a theatrical sense and, and a sense of humor, but uh, to learn how to write a good song, it's uh, something I think you can learn. I mean, I think talent helps a lot, but education helps too. 
So you were talking about our, our kind of lucky upbringing kind of backstage and, and, and the intoxifying aspects of it. What are some of your wow moments? I mean, do you remember some like wow, like people you met or places you were with? Because I, I, I know I last week, well, when we were talking to Mark Harris, I, I remember, you know, it really brought me back to some of those Mike Nichols moments where I just felt so blessed to, to be part of this kind of Broadway, New York scene. Do you remember moments like that? Yeah. Um, I do. I do. I, the first one that pops into mind was that, um, it's incredible. Steve Sondheim, who my parents uh, were friends with, um, had invited people over to Hal Prince's apartment and we sat in their living room and Steve Sondheim played and sang, uh, Sweeney Todd from beginning to end and just to play it and sing it for his friends before it went to rehearsal. And that was just insane absolutely insane it's such a magical yeah. Uh, yeah. we're just so blessed to have been uh, in some of these places all of us you too sock you know oh no yeah i know and, and i among the reasons why i think i gravitated towards screenwriting is that just being a fly on the wall and and seeing writers not in their writing moments but in other moments and and just being uh, gaga over them and you know, realizing that they're human and that they actually exist uh is such a, a a big leap uh at least it was for me so for sure i mean you're saying and i'm actually thinking about uh, a night of of where i got to play poker with my folks and, and I, I think his name was steve gordon but the guy who wrote and directed arthur uh the movie uh who then passed mm -hmm. away about a month later from a heart attack but but he was the funniest it was the funniest person i've ever been around i'm like you're a writer like, wow, that's what you do, you know? And so it's those moments, I think, are really never discount how unbelievably defining those could be. Absolutely, absolutely. So how has the pandemic, and besides the Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, you know, you guys chose to close it down and you've had some fun, creative moments writing, you know, musical comedy, and I'm putting comedy like, that, that was the important part was being comic. What else have you been doing to stay sane? I mean, you and Jeff have been commuting back and forth. You've got your stepkids. Yeah, I've been, um, I did, I'm also, I'm on the Dramatist Guild. I'm on the <clears throat> council of the Dramatist Guild and we, um, I, I work on the, uh, our magazine. And when the, um, when the pandemic hit, we started doing a, a live version of it uh, every week. Uh, me and the the editor and uh, another uh, writer actor named Christine Toy Johnson, and the three of us would interview writers around the country and artistic directors and about everything, like you know things that were canceled. How are you coping? What do you hope for theater in the future? So we did that once a week for like five months. So that gave us like a weekly <laughs> focus. Yeah. It sure did. Yeah, and um, and yes, I my you know as the silver lining is always is we've gotten to uh, hang out a lot more. I you know I won't say learned how to cook. We cook more. Um, <laughs> I have I do have two stepkids. They're both grown, and one of them um, brackets Kaplan uh, lived. Uh, sort of moved back in with us. Uh, they'd had a um, their own apartment. They moved back in with us, um, and the the three of us hung out and we had some great time together. I mean, uh, they're twenty five now, so it's it's bonus time, and they're now in med school. And you know, to save on rent, they've moved back in with us, and they're doing med school online. Um, 
So oh, brackets. Brackets. So, um, so that's been a gift. Were there concerns? I know that you're married to a doctor. Yeah, I'm married to a doctor. Married to a doctor, girl. And <laughs> and does he give you notes on um, female troubles? He does. He does. I, I, he has a great sense of humor. And um, actually, he, he did came up with the tagline, which you said before. It's a period piece. Get it? <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Man, mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> mic yeah. drop, Jeff. Uh, did you have yeah. concerns uh, with his with his medical practice when when the pandemic was sort of raging? absolutely well first of all you have to know we had a trunk full of like we he was like we got a moving hospital in that trunk <laughs> he goes into like mo he goes into survival mode he's like you know we had coldies we had zinc we had you know it, 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 we just had a trunk full of everything and um his his office was closed down for six weeks which was like this man will not you, you know he would be three quarters dead and he would show up to work because he does not like to do that. Uh, but the office was closed. And then going back, the the protocols uh, in place were really the first few days he was like, I was dizzy by the end of the day with all the masks and stuff. But he, you know, he's, he's, it's slower, but he's, he's, he's um, adapting to it. Um, but we, you know, we have friends, he, he has a private practice, but our, our doctor friends who work for hospitals were conscripted no matter what their specialty was to work, uh, in the COVID, you know, I ICUs and stuff. And that was, we were just hearing nightmares about them and they right. really, and, and, they really and, had yeah. the hard stuff to deal with. What's that? Well, I think all of, all of the frontline workers and all of the, you can say first responders, but the people in, in medicine, uh, I don't think, I think it was too close to the, the, the pandemic to really appreciate how heroic uh, the efforts have been. And, and I, I had read somewhere in the last week or so that there was even a talk of having a sort of GI bill for, for healthcare workers uh, moving great. forward. And, and there needs to be some uh, national acknowledgement and, and celebration of the people who really kept this on the rails when, uh, when it seemed rather hopeless. True. Absolutely true. Amanda, um, do you ever feel like, I, I know that, uh, gosh, Adolf died a long time ago, like close to when Warner died. Yeah, almost tw almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Okay, yes. Yeah, I know. And But Phyllis passed more, more recently. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you feel like, um, do any of your songs speak to that or do you ever feel like, you know, without getting too kind of woohoo, but feel like they're they're kind of smiling down on you on when, when you write a particular piece or something, or oh, you feel like handling you them know, a little bit. I wrote songs about them when they were alive, and I feel like I I did it, like I put a bow on that. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, I definitely do. Um, all, always, you know, they both were really smart theater people and um, had great notes and things, and I. Um, I do absolutely, you know, when I'm in my element, I know somewhere they're smiling. Um, and you did say before, I, I, I am the executor of my dad's estate, um, right. which is a whole other Megillah. Uh, but I don't, you know, like for Peter Pan and those things, I wrote lyrics for them. They hired me to write. Ed Hook, I'm sorry. Of, of course, and, Peter Pan. You you updated some of it. Yeah. Uh, no, I wrote three new song moments that they asked me to write. And then like on the 20th century for a revival of that show, uh, they asked me to write a new song for one moment, uh, which I, I ended up using the, the existing song and just writing new lyrics to it. But so those are, those are, um, you know, sort of, great little moments that you get and it's great to live in their world and their language and you know 
Well, to get into something like Peter Pan, which is such like all the way from Mary Martin, like just such a well-loved, well-known show. Yeah. Did you have a little bit of um, like performance anxiety or did you really feel like you, you know, you did it just come to you, what, the, those song moments? No, they were, first of all, they told me what the song moments were. So, oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> so I didn't, I didn't have to figure it out. And I thought they were good song moments. Uh, writing it was not easy. No, because I also had this strange assignment of having to use existing songs that they had written with Julie Stein because they, they because of rights issues. They're like, we, if we get a song that they wrote with Julie Stein, that's the team who wrote Peter Pan. So uh, just going through all of their shows and finding a song and taking out all the lyrics and making it a song about something else that fit into the moment. So identifying the song, identifying the, you know, so it was uh, like a puzzle. Uh, yeah. yeah, it sounds like so an incredible puzzle. Concentrating on that was better than concentrating on like, oh my God, what am I doing? Can I do this? Do you, all right, here's a question. Do you, do you rewrite things uh, after they're done? Like in your head, just, just in your head. Do you go back and think, I could have been this, it could have been that? I do, I do. I do that to say, it's the craziest thing. I'll, I'll think about something I wrote in like 1990. It's done, it's been made. It's like all that stuff. And I'm like, wait, it could have been better this way. Yeah, well, especially I've, I have a couple of topical jokes that I go like, oh, that's why you're not supposed to write topical lyrics because they're already outdated. And now, you know, I got to uh, go right. back and come up with a new pun. Right. So like what rhymes with pet rock? <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so also you, we, we had talked previously, you are on the East End as well. And this is Sundays on the East End. You know, what are, what are some, do you find yourself being equally creative in the city and, and Springs? Or do you find like that there's some, something in the water uh, on the East End, which we've heard a lot, which just kind of inspires creativity. Well, and, there's something and, in the water you should definitely not drink <laughs> in the Springs. Do you use a filter, a high quality <laughs> filter? No, um, <laughs> no, uh, there, it is so, it's fantastic to work here. I love working in the Springs and I love being here. Um, uh, the quiet and the um, this little room with this beautiful wallpaper you see behind me, um, I, I feel very inspired here. And uh, the city has, you know, it's, I love the city too, but it's, it is noisy. And um, I feel like I, there's a million distractions, um, even with the COVID and, and nothing opening the open, there's a million distractions and it's harder to be able to just sit and write and, and, block everything out. So I definitely feel more inspired here. Can you tell us a little bit about the Billy Crystal thing or do you not want to do that? Uh, it's, uh, I mean, it, it is, I can't tell you when or where, uh, but uh, it's based on uh, Billy Crystal's movie, Mr. Saturday Night that he wrote with Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans. And he starred in it and directed it. And um, he is starring in it and he's co-writing it with Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans, the book. And um, Jason Robert Brown is the composer and I'm the lyricist. And we've been working on it for several years. And, uh, you know, life hands you these opportunities you certainly never saw coming. <laughs> and it's been uh, re really incredible working on it and fun and challenging and all those things. And, uh, and adapting a movie and making it something a little different for the stage as well. You know. You've done that a few times, which is just so wonderful. I mean, the, to be able to kind of reimagine these 
kind of existing, I, I want to call them like little cult classics, like High Fidelity or Bring It On or something, you know, things like that. And then to be able to reimagine them and make them like these wonderful live performances. Yes. And, and it's and great. It's the first time writing for the star, you know, and he's a co-writer. So um, his voice is, you know, paramount and you you have the person right there who's like, yeah, you hit it. No, you didn't hit it. You know, so it's... Um, Right. And, and, and without, without, uh, you know, talking out of school about anything, I have found when I develop with talent already, it, I sometimes feel like I'm in more of a box because, uh, you know, you, you are dealing with somebody who's actually going to have their ass on the line. It's their story. It's their, it's, they're putting their career and their currency into it. And, and as a writer, sometimes I feel that has inhibited my playfulness. Have you had any of those kind of issues? Um, I, I mean, it, 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 it is his baby, uh, but it's sort of, you know, everyone always says like in a show or, or in anything, someone is the true North star. And this is sprung from his and Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans's heart and mind and life in, it's about a comedian. So I believe them more than I believe yeah, me yeah, that yeah, yeah. we've hit on the right uh, tone. I mean, there are things where I, I'm very, you know, I like there's a daughter of, you know, who's uh, the daughter of this comedian. And in that, uh, in that area, I feel like, ooh, I got, I got something to say here. You know, <laughs> I got something to add here. I know this, I know this, this, this kid this right. grown kid, you know? Uh, so uh, that's something where I feel like I have more play, but in terms of the North Star of the project, I do feel like it's them, you know? When, when do you think uh, theaters would open up? That was my question. Damn, I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I, I feel like there's, like everything else, there's hope in the air. Um, I've heard just little rumblings about outdoor theater taking place this summer, um, you know, with social distancing and tents. Um, Broadway, as Broadway will probably be the last because it's sort of uh, the economic model doesn't allow for 25% capacity or 30% capacity or even 50% capacity. So uh, until everybody is comfortable sitting cheek by jowl <laughs> and um, yeah. then it won't come back. So I'm, uh, I'm hopeful uh, though I have no more credence than anybody uh, else, maybe a little more, but uh, that it will, something will happen in the fall and more in the winter and more in the spring, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So. so it's going to be a process. Yeah. I, but people are doing, are making leaps and bounds. I mean, like who knew that we would, you know, that the vaccine would be here and we'd be getting it at this point. So uh, I, I'm, you know, I think that, that uh, producers and some of those, you know, like Hamilton and, and some of those shows will figure out a way to get back pretty quickly. Yeah. Amazing. Amanda, it's been, it went so quickly. Talking did. You guys are great. Thank no. you. I know we didn't even have like our 11 o'clock number. Like we just kept going. <laughs> we didn't have to like tell people it's almost over. Now it's just like, it's over before it even started. No, it's been so great. Um, if people want to like look up and, and see what you're doing, I, I know you don't have like a website, but I guess they just Google Amanda Green and see like what you're up to. Yeah, when, once they get past the racy photos, you can get some news. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just sent a lot of people your way. We have been speaking with Tony-nominated Broadway composer and Class of 81 alum, <laughs> Amanda Green. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Alec, do you have any last thoughts you want to share with us? 
Well, yeah, first of all, thank you, Amanda, and thanks everybody for listening. Um, I, I, what a fun conversation and what a, what a wonderful place to kind of quote unquote get lost in for a little bit. Um, I, I do think from what, among my takeaways is, is that we're all on a path to find our authentic self and, and in, in hearing Amanda's story, I certainly feel like she is still on that path, but she's found her authentic self uh, in the theater, which is amazing. Um, and then the other thing, which which kind of just bounces through is, is everybody's got to just keep taking chances, work with people and be playful with it because then magic happens. And so um, everybody wear your masks, get your vaccines. Uh, we are getting closer to the world opening up again and be well and stay well. And she called to tell me her finally popped the question. The tears welled up inside me like a case of indigestion. And now what she sees in that schlemiel is a total mystery. So why am I still thinking, oh Lord, why her and not me? Now it's not my way to be consumed by jealousy. Some sweet day I hope to make them just as glad for me. And you can say I'm shameful, and you can say it's wrong. But who out there among you has the guts to sing along? Oh, every time a friend succeeds, a little piece of me just dies inside. Every time a friend does well, it's like a little bucket to my pride. It's not nice to sing about, and it's not kind or dignified, but every time a friend does well, I kind of wish they'd go to hell and I. Job, shorter hours, twice the pay. A can's going on vacation, two weeks in Santa Pay. How Jen came into money and a house in Santa Fe. And Tammy won a Grammy. I knew she'd be a star someday. Yay! Every time a friend succeeds, a little piece of me just dies inside. It's like a little butt kick to my pride. Every time a friend does well, my it's not nice to sing about And it's not even justified But every time a friend does well I, I shake their hand, I ring their bell I'm insincere and mad as hell And I, and I